Welcome to the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey guys, it's Lou here from Aegis Comics of Alaska, Alaska's comic book shop. And it's just me this week. Amy will be joining us uh, hopefully in about a week or so. She's grieving right now. She lost a very close person in her life. And uh, she needs some time to, to deal with that. And you guys know how much I adore her and support her. And how much she has supported me in this endeavor. So going to give her a break from all this craziness this particular episode i've been motivated to talk to you a little bit about my origins and motivation to finally opening up a comic book shop in the state of alaska of all things uh, new yorkian growing up in woodhaven queens in the 1970s and graduating from high school in 88 leaving for the military how did that all start? Why would I uh, end up in Alaska? Why would I be in law enforcement for as many years as I was? Uh, maybe I can answer some of those questions today. That way you can get to know who we are, the people behind the comic book shop, the people behind the scenes on our YouTube channel, the people that you meet uh, either at the shop or now in real estate. That way you can get to understand what our motivations are, what my motivations were, and why I have, for instance, a disdain for lazy people. In particular, if there's one thing I think is the laziest, worst thing on the planet is a lazy cop. I think lazy cops are worse than any criminal. And I'll explain during my origin story. But uh, first, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, of course, the Awakenings Coffee that supports all of our veteran events at the shop. Sheree uh, and her girls are consistently providing some of the best customer service. You have your choice in coffees. But if you want awesome service and a great cup of coffee or that cold coffee drink that i think is nasty why the hell would you want to drink cold coffee but if that is your cup of tea pun intended then the awakenings uh, located adjacent to our shop at 500 east swanson uh, might be your spot and we strongly strongly recommend them of course dave eller financial services he is with edward jones he is a financial advisor a former cop and currently a chaplain for the Wasilla Police Department. Uh, we love, we love a man. Dave Eller has always been supportive of the community. He puts his Christian values into uh, his business. It shows people who are looking for investment advice. Unless your ass is Tony Stark, you're going to need help with finances and managing of finances. We recommend Dave Eller. And, of course, yours truly. If you're looking for a home, you're looking for that property 
looking for an investment in the state of Alaska, I can help. I'm a military relocation professional. You can contact me at agesofalaska.com. That's www.agesofalaska.com. My website has been updated to show you the latest in MLS uh, information. So there's no delays. If a house is available, it's there on the site. If you're looking for a property, if you're looking for, uh, I say, barren land, something that you want to develop, it's all right there for the searching. There's no hidden fees or anything else. Check it out. Once you find the property that you're looking for, just hit me up and I'll help you find it, help you purchase it if that's what you want to do. And if you're in the business of selling your property, if you're looking to move, transfer, if you're military, if you're civilian and you need help with that, I'm your man. I have been very successful and I thank God for that. I thank my beautiful wife for supporting me and being able to provide those services. So please uh, give me a call at 907-414-8048, 907-414-8048 if you need assistance in real estate. All right, guys. So what my well, this is my origin story, so to speak. Why did I want to wear a uniform and why did I ultimately end up with a comic book shop? Well, here's part one. And I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Ed. Um, my buddy, Ed, and I am not saying his last name in hopes of preserving uh, his identity. Um, we grew up in Woodhaven, Queens together. Uh, we grew up in a low-income apartment complex known as the Wyckoff Apartments. It was this low-income, multi-family. There had to be over a thousand people in this complex. Uh, that was in, at the center of an all-Italian, all-Jewish neighborhood. Very affluent, uh, middle and upper-middle-class people. Uh, you had... Uh, the Oliveri family, um, the owners of the Fun House. You had uh, major business owners in that community. You had barbers. You had restaurant owners. You had uh, butchers, deli owners. Just your your run of the mill, old family money people that worked their tails off and got to the point that. They got to in, in in their lives where they could be successful. Unfortunately, some of their kids didn't adopt that uh, hardworking lifestyle. Instead, they embraced the criminal lifestyle. And uh, a lot of these kids ended up, uh, because of their uh, connection to the mob, ended up becoming what evolved into the Junior Mafia that was located in the Ozone Park, Howard Beach area. Uh, our property was located right across the street from Public School 60, PS60. And the kids who I grew up with, ironically, and Ed grew up with throughout our elementary years, uh, were the kids that had now become a part of what was known as the 60 Park Gang. Uh, New York is not famous for too much creativity when it comes to naming things. So, 60 Park Gang, because they were located in PS60's 
Park. So they were called the 60 Park Gang. And they were your normal cuisines. Uh, my friends from Pressable Defects will be very familiar with this term. But cuisines were your, uh, your Italian youths. They were your guidos. They wore the sweatpants rolled up uh, up to their calves. They wore white deck shoes. And they wore wife beaters, you know, your tank tops with their gold chain and their big ass Catholic cross. And uh, some of them even had the, uh, the one earring in their right or left ear. And there was all kinds of things attached to that. And ironically, uh, they all listened to hip hop. And they all listen to early, early hip hop. They listen to Run DMC. They listen to LL Cool J, uh, Africa Bombada. Um, God, I could go on and on. Uh, Kumo D. You know, all the old school 80s rappers. And uh, they would blast their music all day and all night. And they hung out in the park and for the most part playing basketball, getting high and waving hello and maybe waving an insult or two to us uh, welfare recipients over in the apartment complex, uh, which was interesting seeing that they all knew us since we were kids and we knew them when they were kids. Um, so it's funny how the finances kind of that, uh, I guess what you'd call that uh the cultural difference there was defined really monetarily because they had some non-Italians in that group. But since they were upper middle class, they could they could be members. So, Ed, I uh, I go through life remembering Ed and what I owe Ed. So, uh. Growing up in Woodhaven, Queens, I was one of the only Puerto Ricans in that neighborhood at the time. To my surprise, now in 2022, that neighborhood is almost fully Dominican, Puerto Rican, um, and black neighborhood, where it originally was a Jewish-Italian neighborhood. How did I get there? Well, uh, my... My stepfather, uh, Vinny, he was an NYPD officer, and he was stationed at the 43rd Precinct, which was known to everyone as Fort Apache the Bronx. Fort Apache the Bronx was one of the most dangerous police uh, precincts or uh, unit where to be stationed possibly in the nation at one point. I think uh, it rivaled Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana at that point. And um, so um, that precinct had so much death, so much violence that they decided to decommission it. And when they decommissioned it, they approached all the officers that were stationed there and they said, Guys, you have essentially a choice. You can 
retire or you can transfer but you can't stay here we're going to tear this place down and we're going to rebuild it and uh we don't want any of the old guard here you know these guys had witnessed uh people being murdered right on the front steps of that department they had witnessed their fellow officers throwing drug dealers from roofs and the bronx uh, there's a movie about it uh by uh uh, Paul Newman called Fort Apache. If you want to see a Hollywoodized uh, version of the history of that department and the crazy things that they witnessed, feel free to watch that movie. But my stepdad, who had met my mother uh, during one of his patrols, decided that um, it would be best to transfer to Woodhaven, Queens, to the 102nd Precinct, which was far from uh, what you would imagine the Bronx being. I guess the only analogy I can tell you is it would have been the equivalent of going from South Central to Beverly Hills overnight. And he found himself getting in trouble and not treating people right as a result. But that is a story on its own. Um, I will say that uh, my mother was what was known as a beat wife. And what that is, is where the, it's not that he beat her because he was absolutely terrified of her. My mother was a short Puerto Rican woman that would kill him in his sleep. Uh, he never put hands on her. He didn't want that kind of smoke. A beat wife was back in New York at the NYPD, they would walk their beats. And a beat wife was a woman on the side, your side chick, that you became serious with. And to the point that you treated them like your spouse, even though you may have had another spouse, a real spouse at home, which in this case was a fact. Uh, my stepfather near the end of his life actually had three wives he had two beat wives and his uh, actual uh, married to wife uh, I'll, I'll give you this one part of the story because it's pretty funny uh, it's tragic but funny at the same time how we all found out about each other was my father had a stroke and uh, ended up driving uh, having a collision on, on uh, one of the main roads in New York while having the stroke he ends up being taken to the hospital and while he's at the hospital recovering all three of these families converge at his hospital room at the same time and you can only imagine what his reaction was to being confronted with all three of his uh, family that he uh, created, none of which were aware of the other's existence. I remember at one point, my stepbrother, who I had not known of his existence, uh, Vinny, he explained to me that when he spoke to dad about it, that dad told him, had it not been for the fact that half his body was paralyzed, he would have jumped out the window. 
but since he was paralyzed from the stroke, he was unable to escape and had to sit there and face this this uh, collision of his secrets all at once while uh, recovering on his hospital bed. And uh, our skeleton here is getting ready to top over here. But uh, let me see if I can get her to stay. This is not well. All right, just bite on the mic there. You're good. All right, so... Um, for those of you that can't watch the video uh, right now, we have this skeleton that I use to substitute when Amy is not here. That sounds totally awful. It's not what you think. Ah, think whatever you want. I don't care. But anyway, uh, this thing's tipping over while I am speaking to you right now. I'm recording this. So instead of re-recording, we're just going to go with it. All right. Now you know why I'm in Woodhaven, Queens. Why I am now settled in a low-income apartment complex across from PS60, where the 60 Park Gang now resides. Low-income because when you have a stepdad that is trying to finance three separate households, it's not possible. And our mother found herself working all the time uh, she was a beautician by trade and my brothers and sisters uh, essentially raised ourselves in this situation uh, Ed let me talk about Ed again let me get back on focus here so Ed super super intelligent kid man he not a fighter. Nothing about him was a fighter. But he was a reader. He was just way beyond any of us in academics. This is someone that absolutely had a future. 100%. I look up to him to this day academically. I don't know where he's at now. I hope that... If he ever hears about this, that he would reach out and let me know how he's doing. And maybe I can get over some of my guilt. Um, so, doing exceptionally well. Any parent would be ridiculously proud of this kid. I mean, we're talking 4.0, honors. And he's doing all this while living on welfare. Both of his parents were junkies at the time. Or what we defined as junkies. Realistically, uh, now hindsight being 2020, I suspect they were just weed smoking hippies. I I never heard of them actually taking any hard drugs like heroin or angel dust or LSD or any of that stuff. Who knows, right? But they had a reputation of being junkies. But Clearly, this did not slow down Ed and his progress and his self-improvement to the point that his parents, you know, they made sure that he was fed every day. I mean, he didn't wear the best clothes. His little sister didn't wear the best clothes. But, man, you know, you could tell that they were loved and they were motivated to uh, perform well in school and in everything that they did. So Ed and his sister get sent off. Um, <clears throat> to uh, um, I don't know if it was summer school or if they went with a grandparent or something but they were off for the summer so it was just his parents at the house and 
I don't even think his father was home this evening. His father was probably out working or getting high. I don't know. His father wasn't home. There's no way his father was home because I think the story that I'm about to tell you would have ended way worse than what it did. So 60 Park guys are doing what they usually do. Dante and the rest of the clowns were out there um, partying it up. Drinking, smoking, and uh, um, playing their loud music. It's summer. But now it's about 11. Approaching, I think, midnight. It's late. I can't remember the exact time. I just remember it was late. People want to go to sleep now. And uh, Ed's mom. I remember I'm watching outside my... My street patio. Uh, And let me explain what that is. Uh, I am on my welfare patio. Whatever you want to call it. My my welfare backyard. Uh, The old apartment complexes. All have fire escapes in New York. And your fire escape. Was kind of like. Your. Your patio deck. It wasn't supposed to be. But that's what it ended up becoming. Especially in, in the hood. And. I was sitting there looking out the window. It's a hot summer. Um, My mother was home. I was very protective of my family. So, of course, I try not to stay out too late because I want to be home to protect my family. Uh, There was still a lot of theft and craziness that went on, even in an all-Italian Jewish neighborhood. Ed's mom goes out, starts screaming at these guys to lower the music. They respond by coming across the street, and uh, I remember she cursed at them, told them to shut the music off, and then they responded by starting to pummel her and throw it to the ground. Uh, One guy hit her with a bat. I remember another guy had his Huffy uh, BMX bike, started riding over her with his bike. Uh, As they started kicking her and punching her, I remember one guy grabbed her by her hair and started to drag her to the curb to curb her. For those of you that don't know what curb stomping is, it is where um, they put your teeth on the curb and then they stomp the back of your head. This is something that's been going on for decades. In the 70s, it was definitely popular. They're getting ready to curb her and I think by the grace of God, Adrenaline. Maybe she was seeing her life flash before her eyes. She was seeing Ed and his sister uh, in her eyes. And she mustered the strength to move her head at the last second. I remember climbing out, starting to head down the fire escape. And my mother, who is probably the toughest person I have ever met in my life. She's like... Four foot nine at the time. She's passed now, but she was barely five foot. And uh, she grabbed a hold of me like never before. And I have never seen her face like this. I have never seen fear on her face ever. And I remember her telling me, don't, Luisito, no. No, Luisito, don't. They'll kill you. Don't. I was pretty confident. 
I had uh, started studying martial arts because I had been bullied in my elementary years. So I had established a relationship in the neighborhood as someone that could fight. But my mother's wisdom, in hindsight, was right. You know, there was about 30 of these guys out there. I Maybe I would have taken two or three down and I would have ended up right next to Ed's mom. And uh, so here I am just thinking, you know what? I don't think there could ever be a God. How could God allow a mother to be harmed? I had been raised in the Catholic Church. I went to St. Thomas the Apostle, and I thought to myself, man, we have been taught, you know, about the Blessed Mother and, you know, how sanctified a mom is. And even my friends that are Italian and Greek and Jewish that I hung out with and hung out at their homes. Mom was a big thing. And in the Puerto Rican culture and the Hispanic culture, mom is a big thing. You know, you can make you can make dad jokes, you can make dia jokes, but you don't talk about people's mom. Hell uh the pirates, the Spanish pirates in particular, the Spanish sailors would uh, get the tattoo of the Blessed Mother on their backs because they could avoid catching those uh, lashes on their back because the respect for the mother was so high in that culture, it outweighed any potential punishment. So they would literally avoid being whooped on their back as punishment like everybody else would catch lashes. They wouldn't catch lashes because they had that blessed mother in their back and here i am watching what i believe to be the most holiest of holiest figures a mother being stomped almost to death in a pool of blood i remember hearing her groaning i remember her asking for help and suddenly i heard the screams of all these mothers that came out uh mom's from the apartment complex all came out in full mom force like a scene from Endgame they all came out of that archway we had an archway at the Wyckoff apartments where people would, people would play handball and they came out screaming at those kids to stop I feared momentarily for them as well but then realizing that some of those women were also Italian, also grew up with these guys' parents. They just, you know, were single moms. Had, maybe they were widows or they had been disgraced having uh, children out of wedlock and they ended up in the low-income apartments. But these are mothers that knew their mothers, worked with their mothers, worked alongside their mothers. So when these women screamed at them to stop, they stopped it didn't stop them from cursing and screaming and being jackass gang members entitled punks but it stopped them from attacking Ed's mom 
All of a sudden, I hear the sirens, NYPD shows up. And I think to myself, we're gonna have justice. Things are gonna happen. These guys, for the first time ever, are gonna be held accountable. No one was arrested. The cops showed up. They arranged for an ambulance to show up. They didn't even help Ed's mom get on the gurney. There had to be 10, 12 cops there. They loaded uh, Ed's mom on the gurney, threw in the back of the ambulance. And um, as she carted, as she rolled out groaning, barely able to speak, I remember the mothers out there screaming at the cops. What about these guys? Why aren't you arresting them? And I remember clearly hearing one of the cops saying, there's no victim here. Junkies are not victims. She shouldn't have antagonized these guys. That was my first true experience with a lazy corrupt cop a cop that wanted the easy way out that took the oath to make a dollar never had any intention of making our world a safer or a better place and it crushed me and my world ended for a moment there I thought that there was absolutely no justice in the world I thought that there was no future in this world. That the bullies always win. That evil always prevails. Time went on and I realized that my saving grace first off was Ed Ed gets back from summer camp finds out immediately what has happened to his mother Um, we didn't have cell phones or internet back then there was no world star he found out when he got back home saw his mother's uh, mutilated face bruised body You know, the woman that brought him life, fed him, was now just almost uh, uh, unrecognizable. His father felt helpless because his father knew if he touched any of those kids, they would kill him. Irregardless of whether he was in the right some of those kids were legitimately connected to the mob we're in a small community for those of you listening to this that don't understand what it's like to live in a mob community you can be woke all you want that don't fly in our in that neighborhood back then he would have gotten smoked they would have uh we would have maybe never found his body he would have ended up in the east river somewhere But he knew he couldn't touch any of those kids. So Ed, not knowing how to fight, um, 
but full of rage, first lashed out at me. He was like, Lou, you watched. You're one of my best friends. Why didn't you do something? All that martial arts, all that Kung Fu didn't do you a damn thing. Isn't your stepdad a cop? Why didn't he do anything? He went across the street to the park. They knew he was coming. The gang knew he was coming. But I suspect to this day, and I'm pretty sure it's confirmed now, that their family members, all old school Italian mobsters, had told them that this could not fly. You don't assault a mom. You don't do that. In their defense, I would say 99% of them, if not all of them, had no idea that that was Ed's mom. They literally did think that that was a junkie. That does not make things right because one, when you're mature, should assume that the woman that you're talking to is somebody's mother, somebody's sister, somebody's daughter. But nonetheless, they were reminded by their parents that there need to be some payment. So they threw in a sacrificial lamb. This kid, Jackie, little uh, Irish kid, non-Italian, just a wannabe. Uh, he, he was like half Italian, half German or something. Actually, I think he was more German than anything else. He turned around and uh, he was the sacrificial lamb. And he could easily beat Ed. He was a short bully kid, but he could easily have defeated Ed. But Ed uh, pushed him, got him in a headlock, threw a couple of punches, and Jackie didn't defend himself. Jackie said he was sorry the whole time. Apologized on behalf of the entire gang as he was getting pummeled. Covered his face, took a couple of hits, and then it was over. Uh, Ed walked away in tears, stressed. Ed never spoke to me again. And I remember at that point, I decided that I would never, ever let any of my friends down again. That I was going to seek the ability to help my friends and to protect their moms. I didn't know what that was looking like yet. But one opportunity opened up. It was to join the Navy. And the Navy recruiters, they love poor dudes like us. Man, they they were... <laughs> they were they were in our uh, complex all the time they were at our school all the time they could sniff us out they were like you have no future unless you sign up with us you've got poor college grades you're not uh, uh, a class A athlete so you're not going to be getting a, a, a tuition paid for at a college you can let the streets claim you or you can join the military. Make a choice. And it was easy for me. 17 and a half. I got my mom to sign that waiver. And uh, that following year, I was at Great Mistakes, Great Lakes, uh, Illinois at Navy Boot Camp. So 
that was the beginning of my time in a uniform seeking to make the world a safer place for those I love. And there's a lot more to this story. I will be talking about it more in future episodes. I hope you enjoyed this story. Ed, I love you, man. I'm so sorry I let you down. I hope that when you look at me now, you know that I've tried to be a good man. Try to be better. And I thank you for holding me accountable and for showing me what accountability looked like through your courage and your dedication. I hope that you're proud of me for where I'm at now because I'm certainly have always been thinking about you and have always been proud of you. All right, guys. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed this first portion of our origin stories. I hope you have a blessed day. If you want to support the shop, please check out our Patreon or make a purchase on uh, AgesComicsOfAlaska.com. That's AgesComicsOfAlaska.com. We appreciate you and hope you have a blessed week. See you next episode. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.